So I need to confess, first of all, that I have uh, uh, an issue with my throat, so uh, please uh, bear with me as I try and uh, at the same time deal with uh, the issues in my own body. So, um, and I also pray with me that that uh, cough or that cold may not be a hindrance to me. All right, so like I said, we, we are here to study the topic of the Holy Spirit. And uh, let me again reiterate this. Why are we studying this topic? Why are we here seated this morning? Why are you watching us via the live stream, listening about the work of the Holy Spirit? Well, this is our purpose. This is our aim. Our purpose and our aim in this is laid out in uh, what I've always tried to do as we begin this topic, that the point of this study is to encourage us to cultivate a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit, right? And how do we cultivate a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit? It is by us actively submitting to him, obeying his commandments, <clears throat> depending on his power, and enjoying his fellowship. And I can guarantee you this, for those who are in Christ, as you do this, as you do this, we or you will produce his fruit and you will grow in the knowledge of God the Father and you will grow in your likeness of Jesus Christ. So the reason I need to say that is again, uh, you, as you grow to know and your relationship with one person of the Trinity grows, the other relationships also grow. It's not like you have an isolated relationship, which is what you see in many other circles where some people may just focus so much on the second person of the Trinity to the exclusion of the others, or others may focus on the third person to the exclusion of the others. So that is my desire that as we grow to know him more, we'll grow to know our God more and more. All right, so today we're going to be looking at this topic of sanctification, right? So we're going to be studying sanctification, and uh, the question there is what, <clears throat> what role is he playing in my salvation? So what role is the Holy Spirit playing in my salvation? Last Sunday, we saw that the Holy Spirit is the agent of the new creation, isn't it? He's the one who causes us to be what? To be born again. You remember, I, I, that's why I, I would insist that the best, um, the best name or the best phrase give to those who are in Christ is this, born again. Why born again? Because born again speaks of what has happened to you rather than what you have done. Right? You, yes, we call one another believers, but it can sort of have the idea that you are the one who believed and therefore you did something to be saved. But to be born again, just like you are not, uh, you didn't have anything to say with your birth. You had no say in it. You were simply born in the same way with uh, the work of the Holy Spirit, that saving work. You are born again. You are made to come to life. So today we, we shall be considering the work of the Holy Spirit in sustaining and in maturing this work. So the Holy Spirit is involved not only in giving us new birth, but he is the one who helps us to grow, mature, be strengthened in this new reality of being the children of God, being born of God. So that's what we are going to be looking at. And let me just say this before I even head to the next point. You will always see that the Bible has these phrases. You are being, you, you are saved, past tense, isn't it? You are saved. Then the Bible shows, there are those phrases that you are being saved. And you 
shall be saved, right? So all of that is, doesn't mean someone might be confused. Well, if I was saved, why am I being saved? And why does the Bible say we will be saved? Don't be confused. What it means is God has saved you. You are secure. You are justified before him. You are legally, or we can say before God's law, you are holy and righteous. All right? Positionally, you are righteous. But then in terms of the experience and the working out of that salvation is what now we call you being saved. All right? Sanctification, which is what we're going to be looking at. And then we shall be saved, which is the glorification, where now we will be given a new flesh, a new body. Right? So have that in your mind, even as we think about salvation, sanctification, and even glorification. So let's look at uh, what does it mean whenever you hear this word, sanctification, because throw it around a lot. Um, and uh, is, uh, may, may I request if someone can help me get something hot uh, to just help me with my, thank you. What do we mean? Because it's a word that is in many books, it's a word that is said in our, in, in our sermons, it's a word we like saying a lot. What does it mean to be um, sanctified? Or what does it mean when we hear that word sanctification? Well, I would like us to begin by looking at the Old Testament, right? It's always good to begin uh, looking at a doctrine or a teaching in the Old Testament and looking at how it's been used before we come to how it's used in the New Testament or in the New Covenant. <clears throat> so the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant has much to say about the word sanctification. This is not a word that is found in the New Testament only. A lot of the doctrines found in the New Testament are established or we see them being uh, brought out to us in the Old Testament or in the Old Covenant. So this term sanctification or to sanctify refers to the setting apart. First of all, it's that the setting apart of articles and utensils <coughs> from, <coughs> from ordinary use. Thank you. <coughs> from ordinary use to, <coughs> to the ownership and service of God in the tabernacle and in the temple. So let's just turn to Numbers 7. Maybe one person can read for us Numbers 7. And someone else can read for us Second Chronicles 15 and verse 8. Numbers 7 and then Second Chronicles 15. Yes, yeah, so you'll read the number seven, uh, and then Second Chronicles. All right, you'll read for us Second Chronicles 15 and 18. So that we see how this idea, this word is used in the Old Covenant. Which verses, please? Uh, number 7-1. Okay. Yeah. On the day when Moses had finished setting up, setting up the tabernacle and had anointed and consecrated it with all its furnishings and had anointed and consecrated the altar with all its utensils. Thank you. So do you see that there, the word consecrate? Okay. All right. So uh, just before we read Second Chronicles, notice that, that the, 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 the articles and the utensils that were used in the temple were normal articles and utensils. They were made out of normal silver. They were made out of normal gold. But then they were very different from the gold 
and the silver in your house. What was the difference between the cups, the gold cups in your house and the gold cups in the temple? What was the, the difference? The golden cups in the temple was what? Consecrated. It had been sanctified for the purpose of being owned by God and used by God. So notice, the gold didn't change. The gold in the temple did not change. The, 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 the makeup, the way that the atoms were arranged. For those who know the uh, periodic table, it was not different. It was simply the same gold. Nothing different. If you took it to the lab and you looked at it, there is, <clears throat> you know, you will not find that the, 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 the gold in the temple has one more electron and the one that you use in your house only has maybe three or you know it wasn't it was simply the same but what was the difference the fact that this one concentrate concentrated to be used by god right so that's the idea that we see there that moses anoints and consecrates all the uh, the, the altar and all its utensils all right, then 2 Chronicles 15 and 18. 2 um, Chron Chronicles 15 18. And he brought into the house of God the sacred gifts of his father and his own sacred gifts, silver and gold vessels. All right, let me just get there. So we are told here that um, this. And he brought into the house of God, uh, what? What does he bring? The sacred gifts of his father and his um, sacred gifts, silver and gold and vessels. So in other words, they are called sacred because they are set up for that purpose, to be used in the temple, to be used for the work of God. So that's where this idea comes from. Now, I, I want you to note that it is the reality that something is set apart for God's use and for God's ownership, all right? And then we will see how it develops now into the new covenant. Then secondly, it is also, um, but uh, it especially represents the separation or the distinction of Israel from the nations around it. The laws that were given to Israel were given to them to make them morally and culturally different from the neighboring nations and thus mark them as the people of Yahweh, the people of the true living God. Now, before we even read those passages, if you look at some of the, for example, food laws in the Bible, you might wonder why is it that God gave those food laws? For example, one of the laws that um, if you find a dead animal right, that died because of a disease or something happened to it and it dies, the Bible forbids the people of God from eating. So you might wonder, okay, what does that have to do with holiness? Well, this is how that law had to do with holiness this way when a canaanite and an israelite were walking on a road okay so here are two people an israelite and a canaanite walking on the road and you're standing there and you're looking at them and they are walking and then a canaanite sees a dead gazelle and an israelite sees the same dead gazelle you will notice that one person will run isn't it start chopping up the gazelle, while one man will simply do what? He will walk away. He walks away. That was to show that the people of God are very different from the people of the land. Another thing that the people of God were told is, do not mark yourself for the dead. Because that is the practice of who? The practice of the nations around it. It was the practice of the Canaanites to mark themselves for 
on behalf of the dead or, uh, uh, you know, whatever was happening. But then the people of God were different in that way. So even when you look at the dietary laws, they were meant to make the people of God to be distinct from the Canaanites. When they went into a restaurant, you could tell that this is a Israelite. This is not an Israelite. But not just culturally, but also morally. He gives them the Ten Commandments to mark them as his unique people. You know, the Canaanites have many gods. What does God tell to the, uh, say to the people of Israel? You shall have no other gods. The Canaanites made carved images. God tells them, you will not shall not make a carved image. Bow down to it. All those things were to mark them, were to separate them, were to make them to be distinct from the neighboring countries. All right? So let's look, for example, at Leviticus 20. You're already there, 20 and 26. Then Deuteronomy 14 and verse 2. Uh, okay, you can read for us. Uh, Leviticus 20, 26, then someone else, someone different, Deuteronomy 14, 2. Okay, Deuteronomy 14, 2. Okay. Leviticus 20, 26. <laughs> you shall be holy to me, for I, the Lord, am holy and have separated you from the people that you should be mine. Okay, thank you. Notice the word, what's the key word there? I have separated. Okay, we will come back to that word. We'll come back to that word, okay? Yes. Deuteronomy 14, verse 2. For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the Lord has chosen you to be a people of his own possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Hmm. Notice that. I have taken you out. I have taken you out. So you are, here, here is, again, look at the idea of the articles of the temple. You have, you have a golden cup, let's say 50 golden cups. But then out of this bunch of 50 golden cups, take one out and you take it for the use of the temple. It looks the same, but it is not the same. So God is saying to the people of Israel, I have taken you out of this. I have separated you from the people. I have separated you from the Egyptians. I will separate you from the Canaanites and the Philistines in whose land you're going. You will be a distinct people. You will be a unique people. Yes, you live within the same area, then you will be different. That is, you will be separated. So that is what we see in the old covenant. And it is a truth that then we will see being developed or being uh, applied in the new covenant. Okay? So that's what sanctification looks like. People of Israel must be different. They were given the law so that they are different from the other nations. They are different in terms of what they do, what they pursue, what they desire. Even when they are hungry, they simply can't eat anything. That's why there are all those dietary laws. Again, you wonder, why is it that God says, and I've heard, and people have various views as to why God told them you can't eat something like a rabbit, and you can't eat a pig, and you can't eat this, but it was mainly make them different. The Canaanites ate everything, anything and everything. If a bird just came into their compound, they would eat it. If an animal just ran through their compound, they would eat it. Not for the Israelites. It was picky and choosy because of who? Because of God, isn't it? Because of Yahweh. Because Yahweh tells me I can't eat it's not that the rabbit has anything poisonous in it, no. 
It's not that the lizard has anything poisonous in it, not necessarily. That God has said, do not eat. The same principle that we see with Adam in the, in the garden. Was, was the, the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil poisonous? Was it poisonous? We don't see anywhere where God says, you know, that thing is poisonous. It has some things that will cause cancer and that will lead you to death. Is this what God tells Adam? Or he simply tells him, you will not eat. So the people of God then are separated in this way. But then let's look at the New Testament, um, the New Covenant, and, and how this is then uh, seen. So in the new covenant, sanctification is a blessing that flows from the believer's union with Christ. It is a blessing that flows from our union with Christ. Right? It is, it is not something that we get because uh, simply we can, we have it by, by our own right as individuals. We have it as a right because we are in Christ. It is one of the blessings, those blessings that we see in Ephesians chapter 1, that God the Father in Christ has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So think of that, in, in, think of sanctification in that way. It's a blessing that comes to us because we are in Christ. So sanctification is the work of the Holy Spirit where he progressively separates those who are born again from sin and the world as they read the scriptures or through the preaching of the scriptures. Now, why do I insist on the, the word of God? It's because Christ speaks about the word as the, 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 what the Holy Spirit uses to sanctify us in John 17. Uh, 16 and to 19, where we are sanctified as we read the word, as we sit under the preaching of God's word, the Holy Spirit applies that word into our hearts. And what happens? The idea of being what? Separated. That's how we are separated from sin and from the world. Now, when I talk about the world there, I do not mean the physical aspects of the world. When that word world is used, it is that sinful um, system that rules humanity. It is those sin, sinful, uh, that sinful philosophy that is found in fallen man that then rules and controls human beings. Rebellion against God. A hate of God's law. A love for self and worship of self above loving God. That's what I mean by the world. So that's how it's done. We, the Holy Spirit separates us from the sin within and from the world without. They are also the believer. They are also, or those who have been caused to be born again, they are strengthened to pursue holiness without which no one will see God. This work is, however, a work that is imperfect in this life, since the remnants of sin will continue to battle against the Spirit. See this in Romans 7, where Paul speaks about the battle that happens within him. Right? Paul says, the, 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 the good that I want to do, I do not do. But the very thing I do not want to do is what I find myself doing. There is that battle, right? But nonetheless, this person is growing progressively in their separation from sin and from the world. They are dying to sin. They are dying to the world progressively. 
different in all of us, but it happens. Okay? Must happen. You are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Uh, I remember one person asking me, how, how do you know then that you have the Holy Spirit in you? That's one of the ways. That dying to the world, dying to sin, progressively, might not be, uh, our grasp might be different, but it's happening. It's happening slowly. It's happening constantly. It's happening surely. So Christ spoke about this in John 17 and verse 16. Maybe one person can read it for us. John 17 and verse 16 to 19. Rob can read it for us. John 17, verse 16. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the, tr in the truth. The word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them to the world. And for their sake, I concentrate myself that they also may be sanctified in the truth. All right, thank you. So look at that. They are not of the world. Just like the Israelites were not like the Egyptians. They were not like the Canaanites. Yes, they lived among the Egyptians. And yes, they lived among the Canaanites, but they were not Canaanites. The same way for the believers. They are in the world, but they are not of the world. Therefore, they are being sanctified. They are being made different. They are being separated from the world. Doesn't mean by them moving to their own little uh, town and their own little colony somewhere else where they just live by themselves. Not, 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 not that. It means that even when they live in a, in a community full of wickedness, even, if they, even in them living in a land that is full of wickedness and depravity, they are different from everyone. Right? When, 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 when uh, 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 you know, when uh, 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 they are walking on the highway together with other people going to work, and then by some uh, providence, a lorry full of unga loses control and then falls and tumbles and, 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 and there's just this unga spread out everywhere for the picking. Everyone does what? Rushes there. And everyone is picking as much as they want, isn't it? Someone has five packs, another one has ten packs, another one has a whole bundle, and they are running with it. But then for the believer, because they are different, how will you know that they are different? Is it that they will just take one pack while everyone else is taking five? How will you know that they are different? By the fact that they will not participate in healing. I hope that doesn't happen to you or didn't happen to you and you are found <laughs> to be uh, looting. It's actually looting. It's stealing. It's breaking God's law, right? For the believer, you know, everything within them tells them, ah, but God has provided. By his own providence, God has provided food, full and free. It's manna from heaven. For the believer, they will restrict themselves. They say no. Know that Unga might help me, might even help my neighbors, it might even help my friends. But you know what? I am different. God, because the God who saved me, because the Christ who saved me, because the Holy Spirit who indwells me, commands that I do not participate in stealing, I will not do it. And everyone is looking at you and saying, what is wrong with you? What's wrong with you? All this God has provided and nothing. And they even get to the extent where they get angry with you and they tell you, please, don't come and ask me for food now because I have seen you are a very foolish person. And they even talk about you. This guy is just dumb. They are different. We are a people who are being sanctified, separated from the idea of the world, the thinking of the world, 
is very different from the thinking of God. And as we become more godly, we become more different. It shows itself to what it means to be sanctified. Now again, it's not perfect. Right? But it's there, it's happening. Now, a last statement on that before we see, because I've already said that the Holy Spirit uses the word of God, and we shall see now what, how does it happen now as the Holy Spirit uses God's word, applies God's word, uh, uh, impresses God's word. Sanctification is a work of God's grace, but we participate in this process by cooperating with the Holy Spirit as we submit ourselves to him and resist sin. So, we, because now we are alive, you remember with salvation, with salvation you are dead in sin. You couldn't do anything. With salvation you have been born again. But then now that you have been born, you have life. And now that you have life, because of that life within you, you will resist the things of this world. You will resist sin. We are therefore cooperating with the Holy Spirit, submitting to him, resisting sin in our lives, battling sin. And this is what we see in Philippians 2, 12 and 13. <laughs> work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Look at that. You work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? For it is God who works in you both to will and to work good pleasure. So it is a work uh, that we grow in as we submit to him. This goes against the, 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 the a, a teaching. I remember when I became a believer, uh, one of the teachings that was going around, I, I think it's almost disappeared. I, I'm not sure. I've not heard so much about it. But there was this teaching of let go and let God, have you ever heard of that? Yeah, you know, just let go and let go. Don't fight sin. Just let go and let God. As if you have nothing to do with it. The Bible says to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As everything in you tells, as everything inside you is telling you, just pick one packet of hunger. Just one. You're not saying now God I'm in your hands. Now you, you control my hands and you control my legs and you control my mind. Do you even as you are praying, you are turning away. You would rather even go around because you know your flesh. It is you saying, you know what? I'm seeing what's happening. I will be tempted. I would rather just take the long route get to work. Rather do that. Obey my So we are cooperating. We are working with the Holy Spirit as he helps us to grow in our faith. As he helps us to grow to be separated from sin and from the world. So that's the idea. Again, just think about separation. Uh, just like we see in the Old Testament, separation, distinction, that these people are different. And why are they different? Because they belong to God, because they are uh, they, they are for God's use. And we're going to be seeing that next Sunday, how salvation is also for us to be used of God. All right? So then let's jump in and look at then ways. So how does the Holy Spirit then sanctify us? In, how, as he applies the word of God in our hearts, how does this look like? What are the ways that we can identify? So the first one, and I've already pointed to this, is that the Holy Spirit unites us to Christ. The Holy Spirit unites us to Christ from whom all the blessings and benefits of our salvation flow. This ensures that the power for holy living is available to us in our daily walk. 
read it in First John chapter 4 and verse 13. By this we know that we abide in him, and he is in us. So how do you know that Christ is in you and you are in him? Because he has given us his spirit. Do you see that? That our union with Christ, from where all the blessings, the spiritual blessings in Ephesians chapter 3, chapter, sorry, chapter 1 and verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We gain those spiritual blessings. We gain every single blessing in the heavenly places because we are in Christ and because we, are, we have his spirit indwelling. So sanctification Blessing that flows from Christ, our head. And without Christ, we cannot be sanctified. Which other passage in the Bible talks about us growing in our faith because we are in Christ? Especially in the Gospels. Let me say the Gospel of John. What does Christ use as an illustration of the believer's life, their growth in the faith, and them being in Christ. What illustration does he give? The vine and the branches, isn't it? In uh, John 15. That just as a branch will produce fruit and will grow when it is connected with the vine, so you will also as you abide in me, you will produce. We cannot do anything apart from him. We cannot do anything apart from our union with him. And this is the work of the Holy Spirit who unites us with our Lord, with our Savior, so that then we receive all those blessings. So that's the first thing. But then secondly, <laughs> The Holy Spirit gives us love, <clears throat> that is love for, and strength to obey the commandments of God. Now, no one can obey the commandments of God without the power of the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the teaching from Romans 8, isn't it? You know, a mind that is set on the flesh cannot please God. But that mind, that person who is controlled by the Spirit is then able to please God. So no one can obey the commandments of God without the work of the Holy Spirit. Now this is... <coughs> sorry. Now, this is one of the aspects that was lacking in the old covenant. The people of the old covenant had the law of God. But many had no desire to live by it or to obey it. They were in the covenant. They were the children of Abraham by the flesh. They had been saved from Egypt. They had entered into the promised land. They would go to the temple and offer sacrifices. But many of them could, were, were not living by the law. And this is why the promise of the Holy Spirit was such a powerful promise. That's why what happened in Acts during the day of Pentecost was such a powerful thing. This is why Pentecost was important. Pentecost was important because you cannot please God. You cannot obey the commandments of God. You cannot love the commandments of God. You see how David, one of the things that David says is, oh, how I love your law. That cannot happen if the Holy Spirit is not indwelling you. And that's why one of the things that, that David prays for is that 
Do not take away your Holy Spirit from me. You can give people a law. And by the way, that's why one of the ways to deal with sin is not to have more laws. Good to have laws, but people don't have the desire, the love to obey that law. No matter how many laws you give them, they will still do what? This is why this promise, in the new covenant, the Holy Spirit, as we see in Hebrews 8, so we will read the Ezekiel 36, which is very important for the new birth. But this is what the Bible says in Hebrews 8, and verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. So notice the new covenant. What is different? Because Hebrews 8 talks about the difference between the old covenant and the new covenant. What is the difference? Someone asks you, what is the difference between the old and the new covenant? One thing that you should, you should just say without even much thinking is this. That one of the big differences between the old covenant and the new covenant is that in the old covenant, where were the laws written? They were written on tablets of stone. In the new covenant, where are the laws written? In the, the heart. They are written in the heart. So notice, for those who, now, now this, this should also help those who say that, ah, for the believer, the law is no longer uh, the, the, the moral law no longer has any meaning. It's been wiped away. We're just living in grace right now. Uh-uh. Look at he Hebrews 10, uh, 8, sorry, and verse 10. The law is still there. The commandments are still there. It's only that now they, have, they are no longer written on the tablet. They're written in our hearts. I will put my law in their minds and I will write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my That's, That was the problem with Israel. That was the problem with Israel. Israel could not obey the law of God because the law was out there. It was something that they just read in the morning. It was something they read in the evening. It was something that they read when they went to the synagogue in the, on the Sabbath. It was out there. But now for us in Christ, the Holy Spirit indwelling means he writes those laws. He, and their writing is not, don't think of writing the way we use ink. It's not simply an ink. In those day, days, how did you write? You wrote by chiseling those words into a place, isn't it? So in other words, the Holy Spirit chisels the law into our hearts. It is in, it is part of our DNA, if I can use that terminology. Our obedience, the reason why we obey God is because it's part of our DNA. We can't avoid it. Just like, um, just like, uh, uh, a leopard will have spots because it's part of its DNA. A believer will love the law of God. They may not keep it perfectly. You remember what we say, that the, 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 the flesh will still continue to battle with the spirit, but they love the law. They want to keep the law. They desire the law. Then let's turn to Hebrew. Someone can ask, sorry, Ezekiel 36. Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. <coughs> Someone who hasn't read Ezekiel 36, 25 to 27. No takers. Okay, Derek at the back.
Ezekiel 36, verse 25 to 27. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness. And from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you, and cause you to walk in my statutes, and be careful to obey my rules. Mm, thank you. So look at that. It's a promise made in the old covenant. Now, Ezekiel is writing to a people who have gone into bondage, to captivity, because they have done what? They have broken the laws of God. And God tells them, I know your problem. Problem is, the law is simply an outward reality. But I will give you a new heart, a new spirit. I will remove the heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So the Holy Spirit is the one who writes the laws in our hearts. Because there are those who simply limit the work of the Holy Spirit as giving you gifts. We're going to be looking at gifts next time. But one of the main things that are a thing that appears in the Bible about the Holy Spirit is that he is the one who enables believers to obey the law of God, to love the law of God. And so, even if you speak in a thousand tongues and you're not able to obey the law of God, you don't know the Holy Spirit. Even though you see a million visions, but then you do not love the commandments of God, the rules of God, you do not know the Holy Spirit. You know some other spirit, but that's not the Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us that love for the commandments, for the laws of God. This is the promise that is then fulfilled when Christ comes on the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descends on them, it was a new start. It was show that now this is true. Now this is true that you are now able to obey the law of God. You love the rules of God. You desire them. They are precious to you more than silver or gold. Right? So then that's the second thing. But then thirdly, see that in sanctifying us, our sanctification involves the Holy Spirit giving us a love for the people of God. We have love for the saints. And we thus desire to fellowship and worship together with them. The Holy Spirit uses our relationship with other believers point us to our sins and to encourage us in godliness. Now, there are many passages we could read, but I just want us to consider two passages in the book of Ephesians, the letter to the Ephesians. <coughs> in Ephesians 5 and uh, verse 18 to 20, you see this. There is a contrast made between drunkardness and being filled with the Holy Spirit. And do not be drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, uh, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always, and for, uh, always and for everything to God the Father, the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. So there we are told that one of the ways that we see someone who is controlled by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit controls us, sanctifies us, we will love the saints, we will fellowship with the saints, we will worship with the saints, and what will we do? We will address one another, and we will submit to one another in the context of our time of worship, in our coming together as God's people. Now, someone asked me last Sunday, what can we pray to be filled with the Spirit? Now, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Once, the reason why you believe, the reason why you repent and believe is because the Holy Spirit has already regenerated you. So, all believers are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. But then here's an interesting phrase, being filled with the Holy Spirit. And it's actually a command, actually. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just like the Bible says, be holy, the Bible says, be filled. So it's a command to you and I. And what does it mean? What this means is not that we get more of the Holy Spirit. Simply means you being controlled more by the Holy Spirit. Have you understood? To be filled with the Holy Spirit means the Holy Spirit controls you more and more. In other words, the more you are filled, the more you submit to him. So it's more talking about your submission to the Holy Spirit. And that's why it's a command. Be filled by the Holy Spirit. In other words, submit yourself to him more and more. Therefore, you can pray for that. Oh, Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. It doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit is not in you. It simply means that may I submit more to him. May I be given more to him. May I not resist him. May I not grieve him. So it's not as people think, you know, you, the, the Holy Spirit uh, is up to this level. You know, he's up to this level in your life. And now you need him up to here. No? You being submitted. So that's what you're actually praying for. Oh Lord, help me to be submitted to your spirit. And then another passage which I would want us to see is uh, Ephesians chapter 5. Sorry, I've read. Oh, in, sorry, Ephesians chapter 4. Four twenty nine thirty two. Any volunteer? Okay, I see. Tony, you can read it since you are nearest to the mic. Ephesians 4, 29 to 32. Um, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Right. Thank you. So there we see the other th that aspect of how the Holy Spirit sanctifies us, gives us that love for the saints, gives us that desire to be with them. And as you love the Holy Spirit, as, uh, or rather, as the Holy Spirit works in you, you will love the saints. And one of the ways that it will show itself is how you speak to the saints. how you address one another. We address one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Or do we have corrupting language coming from our tongues? 
Look at the context. We are told, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. In other words, he is grieved by our words, one another. When they are full of anger, wrath, bitterness, slander. If you say something out of malice, if you say something out of slander, if you say something out of anger or clamor, you know clamor where you want to be at the top? And so he helps us in that, that we are sanctified as we grow to love the saints, to live with the saints, to worship with the saints, to address one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. When we gather together to sing, we're not here to bring down one another. We're here to sing to one another. Be kind to one another. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. Fourthly. The Holy Spirit gives us the desire and the confidence to pray. One of the aspects of our sanctification, one of the ways that we are different, we are separate from the world, is that the world doesn't depend on prayer. Whenever the people in the world think about doing something, what is the first thing that comes to their mind? Strategy, isn't it? They think of Okay, we, we, need to, we need to start a business. Just giving an example, okay? The people of the world begin with, let's start with a strategy. Okay, what do we do? Where do we do it? How do we do it? Who will help us? The people of God are different, separate, distinct from the world in this way. That for us, our lives are marked by what? Prayer. The Holy Spirit sanctifies us. That we begin everything with prayer, we work out things with prayer, and we end things with prayer. The world depends on their own knowledge, their own energy. The people of God depend on God in prayer. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us that desire and the confidence to pray. By Him, we are confident to approach the presence of God since. We have been made to be his sons. And by the way, I have uh, a sample of the, the free grace broadcaster that I had told you about on adoption, the doctrine of adoption. Uh, I think there are some here at the church office. It's a really wonderful read. It, it, it really helped me uh, years back just understand this idea, that this truth that we are the children of God. We have been adopted into the family of God. Uh, you can ask for it. Uh, I think there should be a desk outside after the morning service. So we are then able to cry out <coughs> to God as children would cry out to their father. See this in Romans 8 and verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear but you have received spirit of adoption, sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And the context there is Paul talking about prayer. One of the marking or markers of a true believer, they depend on God. They depend on their father. If God is their father, they depend on him. They don't begin, first of all, with strategy. Strategy will come later. They don't begin with organization. Organization will come later. Prayer. They are a prayerful people. When they fall into sin, they pray to God and plead for his forgiveness. When they are tempted, they pray and they cry to their father to help them to overcome the temptation. When they overcome the temptation, they cry out to their father, thanking him for preserving them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit in our in our lives, as he sanctifies us. But then finally, 
Um, I just thought to put this there. It's uh, something that is coming, but it is good to give us hope that there is coming a time when our sanctification will turn to glorification. We are now being sanctified. We will one day glorify. And the same Holy Spirit who is sanctify us, the same Holy Spirit who will glorify us on that day. Holy Spirit will cause us to rise from the dead or will cause us, for those who will be alive when Christ returns, he will give us, or we will be transformed and given spiritual bodies, which will be free from sin and fully controlled by him at Christ's return. In 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 42 to 44, the Bible says, so is it with the resurrection of the dead. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. What is sown, uh, it's sown, it is sown in dishonor, raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, raised in power. Then look at verse 44. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body. There is also a spiritual body. Now, some people have interpreted the word spiritual body to mean that the bodies we will have at the resurrection will be uh, will not be physical. They will not be flesh. Well, that's not what it means, spiritual body. The word there, spiritual body, or the, 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 that, the truth that Paul is bringing out is that we will have bodies but we will have bodies that are fully controlled by who? The Holy Spirit. Right now, we have bodies that still fight against the Spirit, isn't it? We will have, in the resurrection, bodies that are spiritual by the reality that they will now be fully controlled by Him. Fully submitted to Him. There will be no more uh, pockets of sin resisting his will, resisting his control. We will have that spiritual body. So therefore, even as we work out our, sal our salvation with fear and trembling, we have this confidence, we have this hope, this energizing strength that the Holy Spirit is with us. Let us submit to him. Let us pray. Let us be those who are uh, who, who give ourselves to reading the Bible prayerfully. As the word of God is preached, let us be there to gather with the saints. Let, don't come late. You know, the sermon is being preached and the preacher is in uh, point, point two or three and there you are walking through the gate. This is how the Holy Spirit is sanctifying us. As the word of God is preached, grow in this areas. We grow to love the law of God. We grow to love the truth. We grow in prayer. We need to be there. Word of God is preached. And to ensure that in our own devotional lives that we give ourselves to uh, prayerfully reading the scriptures. Let me end there because of time. Maybe one question. Right. Right. Let's our Heavenly Father, we come before you. Thank you for Jesus Christ who was sent to die for our sins. And we thank you for your spirit who indwells us. Oh Lord, as we have seen in your word that your spirit is the one who enables us to gain all the spiritual blessings that are ours in you. We ask you that you would please help us to be those who are submitted to your spirit. We pray, oh Holy Spirit, please fill us with yourself. Fill us with yourself so that we may die more and more to ourselves. We may die more and more to our thought, thoughts, to our ways, to our desires, 
and may we live more to your desire, your will, your way, your word. So help us that even as we journey on in this life of, of our faith, as we are sanctified of you, we thank you for the truth that we will one day be glorified by you, O Holy Spirit. May this truth help us to endure, to labor, and to stand firm, and to continue submitting to you as you work in us. Give us a genuine love for the saints. Oh Lord, help us that we would be those who are kind to one another, tender-hearted to one another, for, to be those who forgive one another, even as Christ forgave us in you. Oh Lord, help us that we would not grieve your spirit. Oh Lord, help us to remove all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, slander, all malice, May it be put away from us. May you control us now. So be with us, for we pray and ask this in Christ's name. Thank you.